Okay, I think that's on. So last week, we were all here. And we're here again this week. <laughs> so what didn't happen? Ernie wasn't here last week. I know we were nervous. But we knew why you weren't here, Ernie. It's always interesting studying these end times when you realize that it's important to understand what's going to happen because we're not going to be there. And so what are we going to do with what we know by virtue of the fact that we won't be there to share with people what's going to happen? What do we do now with that? We share now. We share now. Exactly right. I, I love it when, uh, when Pastor Richie regularly uses the, that passage in James and he says, hey, let's not just be ears. Man, oh man, let's, let's be doers. And the do part of this is to be able to share and, and even share the, the hard stuff. Even share the hard stuff. And as we, as we look through the end times, we're fast approaching the second coming of Jesus Christ. And everybody talks about the second coming of Jesus Christ, don't they? I mean, isn't that what we look forward to? And it's really fascinating because as we see and we have seen as we're studying the end times, those in the church are looking forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ, but we'll already be with him. It's a fascinating thing because we blend those two events together called the rapture and the second coming when they are two distinct events. And yet, and yet, as we learn about how to present to a dying world, the truth. And what is the truth? Jesus. That Jesus is coming. That's right. And so we can share the truth, and we need to rightly share it. No. And the only way to rightly share it is not to be ignorant of it, and therefore understand it to the extent that we can. And everybody is on this path. There isn't two people in this room that are in exactly the same place in the sanctification process. No two. None of us. And that's amazing. And I think that that is an attribute of God. He is so patient with us that he allows us to learn at our pace. He shows us things differently. And I, can, I just absolutely love that if we all sat down and there were, there were five scriptures that we were assigned to read this evening. Just in the quietness of our own space and time where we are right now, God would speak to us differently, each one of us, through each of those five scriptures, even though we're all reading the same ones. It's alive and it's breathing and it's real and it's true. And so we need to be prepared, don't we, to be able to share now what we are learning so that those that would be perishing might not. They might not. Last week, just in a quick review, we were looking at what John, Kathy Pagnasat, has a question. Can we get a handout? No. No, when you come in late, you don't get one. Yeah, of course you can. Well, I don't want to disturb you. I Okay, that's, a per that's perfect timing, Kathy, and that wasn't even a setup. So on the, on the handout tonight, you're going to see a plethora of scripture. Wow. I still don't know what that word means, but I like to say it. There, there are a plethora of, of uh, scriptures, and you'll notice that they're even color-coded. Oh, very creative today. 
And so um, the, the blue scriptures we're not going to look up, and the red ones, for the most part, we are. And you'll even notice that when we go through this uh, study on a weekly basis, we don't even get around to all of them. Okay? Because it's very challenging, and we're going to see why that is a challenge when we get through this Armageddon study and the study of the second coming of Jesus Christ, which is where we're going tonight. Which is where we're going. And so, uh, uh, don't be uh, intimidated or scared or think that, oh my gosh, we're going to be flipping a lot of pages tonight because we're not going to, there's no way we're going to get through all those uh, scriptures tonight. But you can on your own. Amen? Amen. Amen. Last week we were looking at John the Revelator because, you know, John had so many things that were revealed to him. And so, uh, and he wrote them down, didn't he? And it's called the Book of Revelation. That's some of John's writing. And so the Holy Spirit revealed these things to John. And we looked last week in Revelation 15 about this, the precursor to the end times, the last half of the tribulation. And in, in, the, in the first eight verses of Revelation 15, we see that, that there is God's vengeance. God is going to pour out wrath. And we're seeing that wrath and these judgments that he's pouring out. And his vengeance is coming. It's his final wrath. And it's the precursor to what Scripture then tells us about in the next chapter. And remember, when this was written, there were no such things as chapters and verses. Okay? These, are, these are really letters. We call them books, but essentially they're letters. And so I never wrote a letter that had a chapter and a verse, and these weren't originally written that way either. But I'm sure glad somebody did that for us so we could find our way around. <laughs> and it sure makes it a lot more handy, doesn't it? But we see that in the first two verses of chapter 15 in Revelation, John, uh, John tells us about God's vengeance. And, and it's the bold judgments that are to come. And we look at those bold judgments. And we see that there are angels that are going to carry out these judgments. God uses angels. And isn't it amazing? God has been using angels. He's been using people. He's been using circumstances. And God uses all kinds of things, doesn't he, to speak. And in this particular case, he uses angels to pour out his final wrath. And in the next two verses, verse 3 and 4, the, the, um, uh, it is revealed to John that he has to stop for just a second. And we need to be reminded of the character of God. I, I love that. I've been, really, I've been really thinking about that over the last couple of weeks because as we go through God's wrath and we talk about how can a loving God um, uh, you know, get vengeance and, 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 and judgment and, and how can there be wrath from a, from a loving God? And, and we're told. We're told exactly why. We have to be reminded because of our humanity. Because in our flesh, sometimes we kind of don't get it. Right? I, I don't know about you, but when I do something in my flesh... It doesn't take very long for me to be reminded that I just did something in my flesh. Okay. And you pretty much know it right away. And even our thinking, our old flesh kind of comes up to the surface, doesn't it? And so sometimes because of that, because quite frankly, because none of us is good, not even one, we can't always be in the spirit, although we're called to be. Isn't that an interesting and fascinating paradox? But because we're not there, I believe that God reveals to John his character. In the midst of the finality of the wrath of God, the bold judgments that he's just about to pour out, he says, time out, don't forget 
And, and we see that in those two verses, um, uh, the words that are used that aren't all of God's character attributes, but some of them, the words that are used there are just and holy and righteous and great and marvelous and true. Okay, And so we're reminded, we're reminded that we're told in advance. Thank you, Kathy, for letting me use you so many times over the last few weeks. Uh, even in my discussions with people that are outside of here, when you asked the question a couple of weeks ago, and it's, boy, it's really worked on me a lot. Um, and so I appreciate you teaching me how to use that. Like, why won't everybody just come to Christ? It's written. There it is for all to see. And the stuff that's already written that was there to see that has already happened has already happened and was there to see. So why isn't... Why, why is every church filled? Richie and I were talking earlier and we were talking about the number of people. There's 25,000 people in this valley alone. And if you, if you look at the number of people that are really committed Christians that are, that are, that are you know, really churchgoers that are going to church and, and, and are committed to Christ, it's a very small percentage. It's 10% or less in this place we call home. And, and that's amazing. It's written. It's right here. It's just incredible. And then we see in verse 5 through 8 God's plan. The plan is for his final purging of sin and evil from the earth. And then the bold judgments. And those bold judgments we looked at last week are horrific. The first one, remember, are the sores. And all non-believers, everybody that is following the Antichrist, everybody that has said, God and Antichrist, I'll take you. Okay, I'm going to worship the Antichrist because... I have no need for God. Even in these horrific situations. It's, it's, it's unbelievable, isn't it? It's hard to, it's hard to fathom that with the, the previous two judgments going on, with the wrath that is in the world, with the Antichrist running rampant, with there being no peace, and with, with all of this, this it's, it's horrific. And yet there will be many that say, curse God and die. It's just hard for us to fathom. And anyone that is indwelt with the Holy Spirit would have it on their heart to be hard for them to fathom how anybody could continue to want to live that way. That's evidence. That is the evidence for God, the true and living God in your life right now. Because we sit here and we just can't believe that anybody would be in that condition. It's amazing. And so we see that, that all the non-believers are filled with sores. Then we see that the rest of the sea is destroyed. Turned to blood, it says, and all the sea life dies. And then we see the next bold judgment, the rest of the fresh water. Remember, because before a third of it was polluted, now all of it is. So there will be virtually no fresh water on the earth. And then the sun is intensified in such a way that people are scorched. The words, I love that word, scorched. Um, uh, you know, SPF 50 will not be enough. It won't be. I mean, you know, we can make light of it, but it's pretty darn serious, isn't it? I mean, people will be scorched by the sun. Um, and that's, that's, that's horrific. And if that weren't enough, of course, then it says the kingdom of the beast will be plunged into darkness. Now, that, that's a really interesting question that we didn't have a lot of time to explore last week. But what is the kingdom of the beast? We see that in Scripture, in Revelation... We see that his kingdom is Babylon. Hmm. That's kind of the center of power. 
Anybody know where Babylon is? Is it a real place? Historic? Real then? They're unearthing parts of it. Yes, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Some people believe that, that, that Babylon is, is uh, actually in present-day Syria. And that's an, interesting, that's an interesting idea. I don't personally know. I don't personally know. But the Bible says literally Babylon is the, is the power seat. So it's kind of like the Washington, D.C. of the Antichrist's power, um, uh, geographic power region. And then the, the, the bold judgment says that darkness will be plunged into the kingdom of, of this Antichrist. But what is the true kingdom of the Antichrist in the last half of the tribulation? The world. The world is his kingdom because people are already bowing down to, down to him. And there is this one world government. And who's in charge? He is. And there's, and there's a one world religion. And who is being worshipped as God in that religion? He is. And commerce, all of the world's commerce, it is not a free enterprise system any longer. Okay, there's a price to pay for commerce. And who's in charge of that? He is. And this is quite literal that there will be darkness. And so I believe, and, and many do, that this darkness that, that, that uh, Scripture talks about is a darkness that comes over the entire earth. And this is right after people are scorched by the sun. People are miserable. Okay? And I don't mean miserable. Most of us are miserable and I'll tell you, the, the pure misery that most of us experience, I would venture to say, is relational. We have relationships that get broken and they tear our hearts apart, don't they? Yes. And so we deal with things like, like, uh, like Sister Cindy. She can deal with the fact that she had a knee replaced and it's painful and it hurts. And yet it's temporary, isn't it? And you know it's going to get better. And you can actually contribute to, to making it better by doing what you're supposed to do. Okay? And yet, when somebody, when there's a relationship that's broken, that's pain that goes deep. And, and yet, guess what? During this period, there's going to be very little thinking about painful relationships because you are going to be in such physical misery. I, I believe that it's going to be difficult for us to be thinking about relational misery because there is going to be Physical pain and agony is what the Bible says. And then, of course, after this darkness, the sixth bold judgment says, kind of a weird one. It says the Euphrates River is dried up. And at first blush, we see that the sixth bold judgment says the Euphrates is dried up. And who cares? <laughs> it was polluted anyway. But then right behind it saying that the Euphrates is dried up, it tells us why there should be fear. Because it is then to be dried up so that the armies from the east that are going to be called to that region will pass over it. Because it would be difficult otherwise. Because remember, there's no peace. There's war everywhere. It's <laughs> catastrophic events are happening. This is day in and day out. And if you think the news is bad when you turn it on today, uh, who's going to be in charge of the news, by the way? Mm -hmm. The Antichrist. Okay, it's going to be interesting. I have no idea what's going to be on the news. But I can imagine 
I can just use my imagination and it will be for his purposes, right? For his purposes. And it, it will not be pretty. And then, of course, the seventh bowl judgment says in Revelation 16 that it is done. I love that because what does, of course, that remind us of? Calvary. It is finished. It is finished. And then clear in the end of Revelation, it, God's word tells us it is done. So the question is, what is done? God's wrath and that punishment. And so God's wrath is finished, but it is judgment. No. Judgment is not finished yet. But God's wrath, and I have to believe, because as we see the words that are written in Revelation and through the prophets, I have to believe that God's heart is broken. Just broken. Because he knows he must. And he knows he will. And he knows he does. And yet he says, it's finished. And the finished part then goes on to say, what is finished? There is thunder and lightning like we've never seen. And so, you know how your sins are forgiven when you ask for forgiveness as far as the east is from the west? I love that because if, if you're a student of philosophy, how far is it from the east to the west? <laughs> you just keep going. Yeah, you just keep going. It's so far we can't measure it because where does the east start and the there's no beginning and there's no end of it, you know. So that's that whole infinity thing. So when God forgives our sins because we ask for forgiveness, it means done. It's done. He doesn't remember. There's no book. He doesn't write it down. It's forgiven. And so it is done means it is done. This wrath is finished. And it finishes up with lightning and thunder and, and earthquake. This is like the fourth earthquake that we've heard about in Revelation and through the prophets in the end times, isn't it? And yet each one is progressively bigger. And this earthquake is so big because here's the description that we see in the, in the seventh uh, bowl judgment. The description is that islands disappear. And by the way, what is an island? An undersea mountain. An undersea mountain. I love that. Because what else does it say besides, besides islands disappearing? Mountains will disappear. I'm talking about an earthquake. And if that weren't enough, it finishes off with hailstones that are, the, that are 100 pounds. Now, the biggest hailstone, because I had to do a little research, the biggest hailstone ever recorded is like 2 pounds 7 ounces or something like that. And it's like that big, 2 pounds 7 ounces. I don't know what a 100 pound hailstorm looks like. But when the mountains disappear and the islands disappear and the entire earth is being pelted with hailstones that weigh 100 pounds, it is a picture of complete devastation on the earth. Anybody remember when the ice man used to come around and bring ice to the guy's spot? He would bring like 25 pounds or 50 pounds. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I know what everybody was thinking. He <laughs> used to deliver <laughs> Ernie created ice. That's how old Ernie is. But, yeah, that's right. That's a pretty good idea. A block of ice, a 25 pound block of ice is pretty big, so take that times four. That's a big hailstone. Mm -hmm. 
And of course the point is, is that, is that at the end of the bold, this last bold judgment, there is a complete annihilation of the earth. But what happens first? Because these bold judgments are going on. It's the last three and a half years of the tribulation. What else is going on? We took a real quick look at it last week. Armageddon. Okay. And we looked and we asked the question, is Armageddon an event or a place? Both. And it's both. The Bible tells us that Armageddon, Har-Mageddon, is an actual place. And we saw that it is about 60 miles north of Jerusalem. This is a very important piece of dirt over there, this place that we call Israel, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 the, the more I've been studying the end times, the more I realize um, what is going on and why there's no peace there and why there won't be any peace there until these things are fulfilled. Um, uh, it just It's so crystal clear to me, whereas before it wasn't. I thought it was, but it, it wasn't. It's so clear what is going to be happening in and around this place we call the Holy Land, in and around this place we call Israel, in and around this place we call Jerusalem, because that's where God's people are, and that's where all of these events are going to take place. And I think that some people have a misconception that this Armageddon, even though it is in a valley... Not a mountain, because we saw last week, never in recorded history has there been a mountain. Har is mountain. Megiddon is the valley of Megiddo, if you will. And there's no mountain there. And there's never been a mountain called that. And so that's one of those mysterious things in scripture that hmm, makes me hmm. I wonder if I'm going to care when I get there, maybe I'll ask the Lord. I don't think I'm going to care. But... But we see that, that Armageddon is a place and it is a series of events. It is not, we looked at last week at the four things that it isn't. Okay, one thing that it isn't, it isn't a war. Armageddon is not a war. Okay, that's what it's not. It's not the end of the world, regardless of the Hollywood movies that we've seen about Armageddon being the end of the world. Because, uh, another question for you. Not philosophical, but actual. Is there any such thing as the end of the world? Doris says no. The shaking said no. No. The world around, where's the end? Yeah. I wasn't going there, Ernie. This will be transformative. Okay, so is there is it the, will the end of the world happen? Is that an event that will happen? No, no. In fact, it's okay. What is the world? Well, let's define our terms. Okay, let's talk about let's talk about the world that we know. We're physical people and we live on the earth, so let's call that our world. Does that discontinue to exist? Is, is Does the world end? No. No. That was emphatic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does not end. 
It's transformed. Yeah, there'll be a new world. That there will there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to look at that because we have to end the end times with eternity, because there is an end to the end times, and then there is something new, and that newness is a new heaven and a new earth, and then that ushers in what eternity. And so, what in the world is eternity, and what are we going to do in the meantime? That's where we end this study in a couple of weeks. We we, we look at that. So Armageddon is this series of events starting with the sixth bowl judgment. And that sixth bowl judgment drives the Euphrates and leaves it open for the kings of the east who are summoned. Are summoned. Where are they summoned to? Armageddon. That's right. And where is Armageddon the place? In a valley which is? In the region of Jerusalem, about 60 miles north. That's fascinating. Because we've learned earlier that this Armageddon is a series of battles. It's not the end of the world war. It's not World War III. It's It's not a war. It is a series of events that take place. And we see that it happens in that region of the world. And yet... We've been looking since the trumpet judgments of there being no peace on earth. And so there are continuous battles that are going on on the earth for the entirety of the seven years of tribulation. So we cannot forget that this stuff is progressive. None of it goes away. They're not one-off events. It is progressive and cumulative. So when you think about the accumulation of all of these events that are going on and people trying to survive and the Antichrist saying that, up, oh, take the mark or, 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 or you're going to die anyway, right? Because you only have two choices, right? You get the mark of the beast or the mark of God. Take your pick. Funny how it's no different today. But without the consequences. We just don't have the consequences. We're easy. We're lazy. And we don't get it. Hmm. Interesting. But even in that time, there will be people that... Are they lazy? Well, they'll be disobedient for sure. Because there will be lots that take the mark of the beast. Because they will not want to take the mark of God. They just won't. So, turn to Zechariah 12. Isn't it fascinating that about 50% of the scriptures that we look at when we're studying the end times are prophetic scriptures from the Old Testament? And then there's another halfway decent percentage that we look at that are in the New Testament, but not the book of Revelation. And yet when most of us think about the end times, we think about the book of Revelation, and it's a very challenging book to try to read and understand, isn't it? And yet the end times are spread throughout the entirety of the Bible. We'll see more on that in a minute. Zechariah 12, 1 through 3. We're going to read this in the context of the sixth fold judgment, the drying up of the Euphrates River. Okay? Susan, are you there? No. Because she has an electronic one. She's still trying to figure out how to use it. <laughs> Zechariah 12, 1 through 3. 
This is the word of the Lord concerning Israel. The Lord who stretches out the heavens, who lays the foundation of the earth, and who forms the spirit of man within declares, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that sends all the surrounding peoples reeling. Judah will be besieged as well as Jerusalem. And on that day when all the nations of the earth are gathered against her, I will make I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock for all the nations. All who try to move it will injure themselves. And the key there is verse number three that says that on that day when all the nations of the earth, how many? Oh. Yeah, see, all is still all, no matter how you try to interpret that scripture. It says that when all the nations on the earth are gathered against her, who is her? Jerusalem. You see, in the end times, in the end of the tribulation period, the entire earth will be against Jerusalem. It fascinates me to read the news today. Even the United States is beginning to turn its back on Jerusalem. That's never happened in 200 years. Interesting. Netanyahu is having to go out to the to the the leaders of the world and tell them what he wants them to do. Please condemn those people that killed the rabbis in the synagogue day before yesterday. Netanyahu, I watched him on the news say that. As opposed to any nation, not one nation on the face of this earth two days or three days ago, whenever that happened, said, we condemn those Palestinians or whoever it was that, that killed those, those people. Fascinating. It's fascinating. And I can't help but believe that we're fast approaching the time where this stuff is going to happen. I'm telling you, that's why I'm a firm believer that the rapture could happen today. It is right. There isn't anything in Scripture that I have read that would lead me to believe that we are not prepared. Biblically. <laughs> Individually, we might not be prepared. But biblically, the preparation has been made for the rapture to take place. And these then events that are going to happen in the tribulation will then happen. So, it, we're seeing that all the nations of the earth are going to be against her. And the Antichrist at this time is summoning the kings. They're called kings. So we can just... We've got to put it in today's language. Remember, this is, this is Mideastern language. Uh, in our language, you would say that, that all the world powers, he summoned all the world powers. Why? Because they kowtown to him. Because he's in charge. Because they're afraid of him. But we're going to see in a minute, they don't much like him. They don't much like him. Daniel 11, 40 through 45. We're not going to read the whole thing, but the verse 40 says this. At the time of the end, the king of the south will engage him in battle. And the king of the north will storm out against him with chariots and cavalry and a great fleet of ships. Daniel is prophesying that there will be kings that are not too happy with Antichrist 
and now they're warring with each other. It's another picture of what happened in the invasion of Israel when what happened? They began to fight themselves. Remember, Israel never lifted a finger to defend itself. God turned the armies that were going to destroy Israel against one another so that they began killing each other. God used them against themselves and they were wiped out. That is not the last time that that's going to happen. There is a fight that's going on, according to the prophecy of Daniel, that when they are summoned to Armageddon, in the process, they're fighting each other. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. There's a lot of strife, isn't there, that's going on at this time. It's fascinating to me that there's never been a time in history where 100% of the people under the rule of one dictator are submissive to. There's always a faction that knows it's wrong. And they always fall. Always. Interesting. We see that throughout the world there is this fight against the Antichrist now. Even though he has summoned those that are his allies to come. The Euphrates is dried up. Who dries up the Euphrates, by the way? God. Who summons the, the rulers of the world to come fight against the Jews? Who, no, no. Who summons them to come after the Euphrates is dried up? The Antichrist summons them. Who then is is um, who then allows the fighting, the infighting, to take place? According to Daniel eleven forty through forty five, if you read it all, God. God's plan is woven in and through everything that Satan is trying to do, because there's a war, okay, and the battles within that war are Armageddon. And so it looks like this. Here's the stages. These are all the blue scriptures that you have on your handout. And boy, you could spend the rest of the week looking at these scriptures, I'm telling you. Um, We're not going to read them, but we're going to look at these ten events okay, very quickly. And they are the sixth bold judgment, which is the drying up of the Euphrates so that the Antichrist can can lure. Because he still has allies. okay, And he's luring the allies. Come, fight. Let's wipe the Jews off the face of the earth. That's that familiar cry that we hear out of the Mideast all the time. Okay? Iran, Syria, pick a country that surrounds this little tiny place that we call Israel. It's this big. Okay? Just pick a country. Okay? They all want to wipe Israel off the map. And it's going to continue. The kings of the world are summoned. And we see that in Daniel, Joel, and Zechariah. And then the Antichrist assembles them. So they come together. This must be, this must be one spectacular guy because he is like the general. Okay? And so he brings his allies to that part of the world. They come. Some of them cross the dried Euphrates. Okay? That's a lot of boots on the ground. Some people have estimated that there will be about 400 million people in that region during that time. I don't know. I find that to be a fascinating number because there's only 14 million Jews in the world. If there's 14 million Jews in the world today, and this happens relatively soon, and there's going to be 400 million people in that region, but this is, these are estimates now. There's nothing that, that I have to support any of this. 
But if there are, hypothetically, 400 million, that's a lot of people against 14 million Jews that are God's people, God's chosen people. Put that in the back of your head about who, who is fighting whom or who. Or I never know. I can never figure out the who and whom thing. I'm not very good at English. Satan's fighting. He's trying to fight Jesus. He's trying to fight God. Yeah, there is definitely that good and evil fight, right? Yeah, and 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 it and it, the Antichrist uh, is is empowered by whom? It's the devil, Satan. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. So they assemble his allies to fight against Israel, and we see that in in the Psalms, Psalm uh, two. Then what happens? We haven't talked about this much, and we're not going to go into it because you know we're just this is kind of like end times one hundred and one. We could dive way deep, but we see that Babylon is destroyed. Babylon we mentioned a little bit earlier is the central point at which the Antichrist is ruling from this place called Babylon, and Babylon is destroyed. And we see a lot of very graphic language in in Revelation, especially about. Uh, about the, the church, for example. Okay, so this is the one world church now. Okay, that the Antichrist is God, and and it's, it is referred to in uh, in the scriptures and in Revelation as as the harlot, and 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 of course you know the harlot is a harlot, <laughs> and 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 she prostitutes herself. Okay, then that's we're talking about the church. Okay, because it's the false church. It's the church of the Antichrist. The Antichrist is God, and and the point is, is that Babylon falls during this time because there's this this battle. It's an Armageddon battle, and it happens in Babylon, the most important city on the planet at that time, and it falls. Babylon falls. And we see that in Isaiah and Jeremiah. The scripture references are there for you. And then Jerusalem is going to fall. But wait a minute. I thought God was protecting the Jews. But we see during these battles of Armageddon, this is going on all over the place. Because if Babylon is in Syria, as an example, if that is indeed the case, if that's true, where is Syria in relationship to, let's say, Jerusalem and and the place called Armageddon that's 60 miles north of Jerusalem? Just beyond that. Yeah, it's quite a ways away. Okay? There are battles of Armageddon. I like to use that plural. Battles of Armageddon. Okay? That are going on in a wide geographic region. And then Jerusalem will fall. And then the, uh, the Antichrist is going to assemble all of his armies. Remember, they're trying to destroy Israel. And Israel falls. And the Antichrist is in the middle of this. And now we're talking war. Okay? We're talking war. Because it does. Because what happens is, is that the Antichrist gets control. Over Jerusalem. I just wondered where it says Jerusalem is going to fall. Jerusalem is going to fall, so we want to you want to read that, and it's going to be it's going to be regenerated, but it's going to fall for a time. And if you want to read that, you can see that in Psalm. I've got the scripture references there for you: Psalm 70, Isaiah 64, and Romans 11. Talks about the fall of Jerusalem and then its regeneration. Okay, for it to be regenerated, it has to fall. So Jerusalem will fall. And then the second coming of Jesus Christ. 
There are these battles that are taking place. And the Antichrist has has rallied his troops and all of his allies have come to this region and there are battles going on and the battles range about 200 miles both north and south of, of Jerusalem. So 400 miles, uh, you know, I'm not a military guy. I know one, but I'm not a military guy. But, but battles that are going on within approximately a 400 mile spread, that's kind of like, how far is Sacramento from here? Like as the crow flies? Mm-hmm. I should know that. I'm a pilot. What, how far? Sacramento. Yeah. It's about, it's about 400 miles. I don't know about you, but when there's boots on the ground, uh, 400 miles is a long ways. And there's these battles that are going on over this wide geographic region. It's really interesting to me because when I think about war, I think about being in, in a condensed area. Okay. Now, don't forget, there's wars going on elsewhere too because um, the scriptures tell us in Revelation that many nations will fall. They call them kingdoms. So kingdoms are falling during this time. And we're not told which kingdoms, and we're not told where, but it alludes to the kingdoms of the world, meaning many countries are going to fall during this period. So there's battles going on. The world is essentially at war. Armageddon. A place and a series of events. Jesus comes. Jesus comes. Hallelujah. How many know that Jesus comes during these battles of Armageddon? Jesus' second coming happens in the middle, in the height, at the peak of these battles that are going on. Do you know that? We're going to look at that. And he ends up at a specific place. And we need to know this. Because Jesus comes. Now, for most Christians, that is what it's about. Isn't it? Come, Jesus. I don't know about you. Sometimes I'm just tired. <laughs> come, Jesus. When we say, come Jesus, though, what we mean when we say, come Jesus, is come Jesus. Rapture the church. I'm tired. I'm tired. I love life, don't get me wrong. But sometimes I'm just exhausted. I'm just exhausted. Come. For the Christian, it's come. Take us. But before you do, let me tell everybody. People got to know. Okay? And yet he comes. What is the second coming of, of Jesus Christ for these people that are here? Mm, there he is. <laughs> I hope that's not the trumpet from heaven. Because <laughs> as much as I would like him to come, I'm not sure I'm ready. <laughs> but Jesus comes during, during Armageddon. The battles of Armageddon, this place that we call Armageddon. And he comes, and he, he comes. Do we need to deal with that? Is that important? Well, it's important to know that he's coming. <laughs> Why? Well, he's going to set things right, eventually. Okay. How is, how is Jesus going to set things right if he's coming in the middle of these horrific battles? 
The people are dying. Yeah, I thought it was going to wait until everything was done and then appear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that how it's supposed to be? Yeah. Because he comes riding on a white horse. That's what Revelation says, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, it also says he slays his... There's a clue. Dora says, it, and we're gonna we got to take a look at some of the scriptures, don't we? We have to because it doesn't matter what Dora says, and it doesn't matter what I say. It matters what Scripture says, and so we need to understand that Jesus Christ comes. His second coming is at the peak. I mean, the peak. Now think about this for a second. I want I want you to draw a picture in your mind of what this is going to be like. There is there is horror on the earth. The oceans are essentially dead. The fresh water is essentially polluted. There are billions of people that have died. And there is no peace. And there are, Scripture tells us, there are bodies everywhere. Think about this for a second. It's like it's out of a horror movie. And yet, this is God's word that is true. And it gives us this picture of what the conditions are going to be like. And then and God's word tells us, I told you in advance. Don't go there. Don't go there. But I have to, out of being just. It's God's character coming through. He's just in this judgment of sin and evil on the earth. And yet these are the conditions and the people that are exposed to all of this are those that have said, God, it's insanity. And yet that's what it is. And Jesus Christ comes under those conditions. Wow. Wow. That's amazing to me. That is amazing to me. Because Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lord, the King of Kings, comes in the midst of this horror that is happening on the earth. But that's a glorious thing, right? The second coming of Jesus Christ. Why is it that when we talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ, uh, why is it that we smile? Because it's a good thing. Okay. So, how does it happen? We know he comes. Let's talk about that for a minute. What happens? Doesn't he say we're, the Christians are going to be part of that army that's coming with Christ? Got it. So, part of what we know is, is that the believers, everybody that was raptured, right. is coming with them. And we're going to look at some scripture that says that specifically. We will be with him. Okay? So that's one thing we know. Out of that mess. Yep. Perfect. You've read ahead. I love it. What else do we know about the second coming of Jesus Christ? That's a, that's a big one and a good one. What else do we know? Judgment. judgment. There will be more judgment. What else? That's all that's important, really. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's some big stuff. Let's do a quick little survey before we jump into scripture and we find out how he's coming. Okay, a quick little survey. Interesting Bible 
facts. How many times does the Bible reference the second coming of Jesus Christ? Just guess. I know none of you knows the answer to this. I didn't before this week. Okay. How many times does the Bible in its entirety discuss the second coming of Jesus Christ? What do you think? Several hundred. You ready? Over 1,800 references in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation of the second coming of Jesus Christ. 1800, over 1,800 in the Old Testament, over 300 in the New. Think about that for a second. Over 1,800 references to the second coming of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And there's God. There's God protecting the Jewish people, the remnant of the Jews, protecting them because why? He's in covenant with them. They are his people, just like you and I. And he promised. That's what that covenant is all about. And God has never broken a promise, ever. Nor will he. It's amazing to me. To me, if I had people that were treating me the way we treat him, I think I would have just gone, do over. <laughs> Let's just do a do over. Okay? But that's not the God we serve. God is a God of love. And so, there we have it. We have 1,800 times, over 1,800 times in the old, over 300 times in the new, talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. I find that really interesting. And his, his second coming is mentioned in all but three books of the New Testament. Okay? Um, uh, that's kind of interesting. And the other interesting fact, Bible fact, take this one home with you, is that for every one time, for every one time, that his second coming is mentioned. I have to back that up. For every eight times his second coming is mentioned, his birth is only mentioned once. See, there's no mistake. I think God realized that the second coming was going to be way more important to us than his birth. You think so? There wouldn't be a second coming if he hadn't had the birth in the first place. The second coming is pretty important, isn't it? That's right, because without his birth, there wouldn't be a need. And without his birth, and then his death, and his resurrection, hoo-hoo, oh, hi, pizza, and beer. That's where I would be. Because there wouldn't be any need to be here. This is also interesting. Anybody remember Enoch in the Bible? Seven generations removed from Adam. So we're talking early on. Many consider Enoch to be the first prophet. The first biblical prophet. And what did Enoch prophesy? Do you remember? The second coming of Jesus Christ. <laughs> that was his prophecy. The first prophet of the Bible prophesies the second coming of Jesus Christ, who, who wasn't going to be born for a really long time. And what's even more fascinating, fascinating about that is, what is the last prophecy in the Bible? The second coming of Jesus Christ in Revelation 20. <laughs> it's fascinating. 
Just really, really interesting. So Revelation 20, 22 deals with that uh, second coming of Jesus Christ. And then, of course, Jesus himself warns us. How many times does he warn us to be ready? Fifty. Jesus doesn't himself. But the Bible warns us to be ready for the rapture or the second coming. Fifty times in Scripture. Okay. So Jesus is coming at the end of the tribulation during all of this insanity that is going on. And we think, though, don't we, Candy? We think that he's going to come and we have a perception that he's going to come and all that stuff is going to be, can it just be done? Can it, can it just be done? And then he comes and makes everything right. Because that, that stuff's all finished. But it's not. It's not finished yet. And so we have to see how that works. Acts, turn to Acts 1. So, how does Jesus come? On a white horse. Uh, on a white horse. Is that physically, Diana? Well, it says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse. Hmm. His right is called Faithful and True. Hmm. And on his forehead is called um, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hmm. Do you interpret that literally? Uh, no reason not to. Ah, okay. That's really interesting because what do we know about interpreting Scripture? If you can interpret it contextually, literally, then you should. With all due respect for the art and science of biblical interpretation, if you can interpret it bib- uh, literally by the context of the Scripture, then you should. See, Jesus is coming personally. Do you know that there are those that believe that that is is just a spiritual thing? That it is the spirit of Jesus that is going to come? No, 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 no. The Bible says that Jesus will come personally. He's coming on a white horse, right? Brenda said he's coming on a white horse and we're coming with him. We're going to look at that scripture that, that, that says that. That is quite literal. That's exactly right. And it's very personal. Acts 1, verses 10 and 11. Somebody read that verse. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Okay, and the key there is when Jesus was standing there and he left. That was a pretty big event, right? And there were a lot of people around, right? And, and, and we see that in Acts. And, and, and Acts uh, 1 says that, that he, he left. And then what is going to happen? In the same way. And, and, and was he there? Could they do this to Jesus when he was there? Could they touch him? Could they feel him? Could they talk to him? Could they smell him? Yeah, it was a physical thing. It was very personal. He personally was taken up into heaven. And he's coming back the same way. It is literal. Revelation 19, 11 through 13. If there was any question in your mind if Jesus is coming back literally and very personally, Revelation 19, 11 through, thing, 11 through 13 says that I saw heaven opened. I love that. I don't know what heaven looks like opened. But John saw heaven opened. Okay, And behold, a white horse. Diana? There's our white horse. Brenda, there's our white horse. Okay? Behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. 
Who's sitting on the white horse? Jesus, called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. When Jesus comes on the white horse, personally and literally, what's he coming to do when he gets here? Judge. And wage war. See, Kenny, he's not coming for just all the good stuff because he's got to deal with some stuff first. He's got to wage war, it says. His eyes, his eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. Does your say crowns? crowns? Okay. And and uh, he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And check this one out. If you don't take anything else home tonight, take this home. And this is uh, verse 13. 13. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called... What? The Word of God. The name of Jesus Christ is called the Word of God. Now, if that isn't a powerful scripture to take home in terms of faithful and true, and Jesus Christ, the Word of God, he's called the Word of God. The Word of God. I'm telling you that if there isn't anything else that we believe in this church, it is the Word of God. Okay? It is totally sufficient for all of our life. And then, and then Revelation calls Jesus Christ the Word of God, sufficient for all of our life. <laughs> so in the second coming is the way How's that? Jews wanted him to come in first. And what's that? The second coming is how the, the Jews wanted Jesus when he was here the oh, first time. That's interesting. He wanted him to conquer everything and be a Interesting. And we're going to look at a scripture where Jesus is going to say, and they will know I am Lord. Okay. Well, they should have known. How many times in the Old Testament did the Jews know some of them had memorized? How many times in the Old Testament is there a reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ? 1800 plus. Okay. And yet we know that God has, has in some way hardened the heart of the Jews as part of his plan. And yet in his great mercy, we're going to see how he saves. He does not want one. Even though he's hardened the hearts of the Jews, he does not want one to be left behind, if you will. Well, he was referred to in John. He said uh, his uh, beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word, and the word was, was God. God. Yeah. There you go. I love that. And John, and the Word was God. And here it is in Revelation. Just just following up on that. Yeah. That's his name. His name was called the Word of God. Well, we already saw that in John. You're absolutely right. Scripture doesn't contradict itself ever. It's awesome. How else is he coming? Okay, He's coming personally. He's coming literally. He's also coming visibly. What does the Scripture tell us about how Jesus is going to come? Don't turn to Matthew 24, 23 unless you're already there. How is Jesus going to come? How will you know that Jesus has come? Well, you won't know because you won't be here. You'll be behind him. Okay? You're already going to know. But for those that are here, how are they going to know? They were told beforehand. The trumpet will sound. The trumpet is going to sound. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. And so, if you were here, let's just say hypothetically, Diana, that you were here. Okay? So you made a minor little mistake. You got left behind. You got to repent. Okay? 
And then, and then Ernie said, Diana, Diana, Jesus has come. He's in Miner's Oaks. Come with me. Let's go. Would you go? No. If, if that was truly Christ. If it was truly Christ. But what does Scripture say? Matthew 24, 23 goes on to say that then uh, if anyone says to, to you, behold, here's Christ. Or, hey, here he is. I'll paraphrase now. Here he is. Or there he is. Or, hey, he's in minor soaks. Let's go. Do not believe him. Don't believe him. Why? How far is that, Sally? When Jesus comes and and he is riding on the white horse and he comes personally and he comes very literally and he comes very visibly, there will not be an eye on the planet that doesn't see. And this has nothing to do with satellite television. Okay? Nothing to do with that. It says that there will be a flash and Jesus, and who's coming with him, Brenda? Us. We're with him. We're with him when he comes. And there will be a flash. Behind him, it says. That's right. Exactly. And as it's. White horses and white garments will all have white. That's right, because that's what we're clothed in in the heavenly realms. And he comes and everyone will see. So if somebody says he's in Miner's Oaks, just keep stay at OI Pizza and drink your beer and have your pizza because it's not true. Because you will know. If you are here, you will know. There will be no question about it. And yet some will still reject. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Revelation 1.7 says, Every eye will see him. How many is every? Oh, yeah, pretty much every. That's that whole Greek thing again. Every still means every. Every eye will see him when he comes. He is also going to come suddenly. Now let's take a look at this in the context of the rapture and the second coming. And let's look at Matthew 24.27. We just saw it. It's a reference of the of the lightning in the east and the west. Matthew twenty four twenty seven. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Um, when was the last time you saw a bolt of lightning? How fast does it... You ever try to take a... Ernie, did you ever try to take a picture of a bolt of lightning? I've tried. It doesn't work very well, does it? Unless you've got a time-lapse camera because it happens so quick. You know it's coming. It's right out there. It's right out there. It's right out there. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. And it flashes and it's gone and then you go click. <laughs> I have gotten some. It's, the point is, it will be fast. Jesus will come suddenly, and Revelation 3, 3b says, I will come, this is Jesus speaking, I will come, how? Like a thief. Okay? You will not know at what time I will come to you. Okay? See, these are relevant for both the, the rapture and the second coming. 
We don't know when Jesus is coming. I am as convinced as I'm sitting here in the flesh tonight that it could be any moment. I am also convinced that those people that are in the tribulation period, even the ones that know, because it is written what is going to be happening for this seven year period of time, don't know when Jesus is going to come. But they will have a calendar and a watch. And they will know that people are missing. And they will know if they've picked this up or if they've been going to church for 40 years but aren't a follower of Jesus Christ. They've never, never given their heart to Jesus Christ. And they are not a disciple of Jesus Christ. And which means they will be left behind. Probably they're going to remember, didn't the pastor preach on that one time? But they won't get another chance. Hmm. The problem is, is that the rapture is going to happen and then they're going to be faced with a seven year period of time if their heart is softened and not hardened. He's coming dramatically. Jesus will come dramatically. Amen? There will be drama like you've never seen before. We've heard the term, leave the drama to your mama or something like that. <laughs> Trust me. There will be a lot of drama. Matthew 24, 29. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky. What's that a reference to? The bold judgments. It's talking about the bold judgments. So here we are. We're in the end of the tribulation. The bold judgments. It says right here in Matthew Talking about the bold judgments. And the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the skies and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. That's dramatic stuff. I don't know about you, but I don't know what the sh heavens will be shaken. I don't know how that manifests itself physically, but there will be physical manifestation because there will be no light. There will be darkness. If the stars fall from heaven, that's a big manifestation. That's right. Of some kind. Of some kind. Yeah. We had this spaceship thing land on a comet, or was it a comet or an asteroid, or whatever it is. Comet. Okay. That's a pretty miraculous thing, unless they did it in a movie studio someplace, like they did the moon landing, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but the point is, the point is, that, you know, there's, there's phenomenal things that are going on out there and yet this says that the stars are going to fall from the sky. I don't know how far the stars go out, only as far as we can see. And the Hubble shows that there's stuff that's way, way out there, way, 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 way out there. And I don't know how far out it's going to be that the things are going to fall. And when the new heavens and the new earth are created, I don't know if that means that God is going to wipe out all of the universe or if there's still some good stuff out there. I don't, I don't know that. He doesn't tell us that. He just says that he's going to make it all new. And then when Jesus comes, there will be tremendous drama in the heavenlies. In the heavenlies. Because who isn't in the heavenlies during this time? Satan and the demons. See, they've been banished. Where are they? On the earth. They're not in the abyss yet. That's where they're going. Okay? They're on the earth. You talk about drama. God's wrath, God's judgment, the Antichrist is creating drama like you've never seen before. And then, of course, we know that Jesus comes how? In glory. 
Jesus Christ comes in glory. And, and it says that in Matthew 24.30, if anybody's there. <coughs> With power and great glory. And Doris, why will the tribes of the earth mourn? They've got the mark. They've got the mark. I don't know about you, but that's going to be a traumatic time because for the first time, I believe that there will be, and it doesn't matter what I believe, it matters what Scripture says, but I will tell you that in my thinking and in my study, I, I have to imagine that when Jesus comes in all his glory and those people that have taken the mark, even the day before when they went, God, they're going to think when Jesus comes with all of this drama and with all of this circumstance surrounding his second coming, it's going to be a real picture of, of hell because they are going to realize it's too late. I've chosen this path. And that's a picture of hell, isn't it? And eternity separated from God when you know the difference. Oh, can't imagine. I just can't imagine. I, I just can't imagine. And yet... Second Thessalonians tells us also that the Lord Jesus is going to be revealed from heavy with his mighty angels in flaming fire. That's, a, that's quite an image too. We are coming with Jesus as well as the angels are coming with Jesus at the second coming. And there's purpose for us when Jesus comes at the second coming. It's not just Jesus coming at the second coming. We're coming with him. And he's bringing a, he's, bring, he's got a tribe. They're coming with them. The angels are coming too because there are things to do. There is much to do when Jesus comes. This fire that Jesus is coming with is, a, is really a sign of purification because what's he going to do when he gets here? Clean up the earth. Did you say purge? I, I like that. Yeah, there's a purging that is going to take place because he comes in triumph. Because if you remember the story that I told last week about the custodian that was waiting for the, for the seminary students to finish their basketball game and, and he was, you know, they asked him to, to can you summarize Revelation and the, and the custodian says, Jesus wins. <laughs> yeah. Amen, brother, because really that's what we need to know. But we, we, we complicate it a lot, don't we? But, but really, I'm a simple guy. I think most of us are. Frankly, most of us are pretty simple if we just admit it. We're just simple folks. And so, and Jesus wins. And that's really the book of Revelation. That's what it, that's what it is. And the end times in Jesus Christ's second coming, when he comes in glory and triumphantly and with a lot of drama, and there, there will be things that are revealed, and then there is a purging that is going to take place because in that triumph, in that triumph, he is going to be waging war. What is the war that Jesus wages when he comes back triumphantly at the second coming that is, that is prophesied or mentioned 1,800 times in the Old Testament and 300 times in the New? By the way, what's the, there, you know there's one other topic in the Bible that is spoken, only one that's spoken of more often than the second coming of Jesus Christ. You know what it is? The one topic? Money. Isn't that interesting? 
The Bible speaks more about money than it does about Christ. Which is a fascinating thing. Which gives me a pretty good idea that God knew how we would mess that up. Really? Seriously. It's like when Jesus says, I tell you the truth. I want to listen. When Jesus, you know, when God's word, you know, talks over 2,000 times uh, in God's word about money. And and only 1,800 times about Christ and his second coming. um, uh, It it should make us stand up and take notes about how to live today. (laughs) That's just... That's a little side note. That's your bonus for the night. So Jesus comes and every eye will see him according to Revelation. Interesting, isn't it? Because what does it say? Uh, let's, 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 oh, we got to go there. But I got to find it first. <laughs> He tells us to be ready, and then he comes with a crowd, and the crowd is us and the angels. We see that in Zechariah 14, if you're following along in your, in your outline there. Okay. Zechariah 14, 5 says, Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. Who are the holy ones, Brenda? <coughs> That'd be us. Okay. Saints. Saint Susan. Be in the mix. Behind the Lord. Why? Why are you coming with the Lord at the second coming of, of Christ at the end of the tribulation during Armageddon? Why? Okay, but why? To fight evil. To, to fight evil. But, uh, but I'm, I'm still going, I'm still looking for the main reason why. How do, how do you know that? How do you know that you're going to be there? That's right. That's right. The Bible says so. <laughs> Jesus Christ is the word of God. The word of God is true. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay? Truth, 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 truth. I mean, Richie's been preaching on truth. It's just amazing. I'm, we see this woven in and through all of the end times. Truth, 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 truth. Jesus is truth. Why doesn't everybody just follow Jesus? Huh? Huh? But he comes with a crowd, according to Zechariah 14.5. He comes with all the holy ones. And Matthew 25.31 says, uh, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. So we're with him. And how many of the angels are coming with him when he comes? Does that leave heaven empty? (laughs) Huh. Well, that's an interesting question, though, isn't it? It says because when Jesus comes at the second coming, so we're already there. The church is there. A lot of people have died. There are a lot of people that are martyred. Too many to count, it says. Okay? We know that. A lot of people come to Christ during the tribulation period and even during the battles of Armageddon. And so Jesus Christ comes, right? And the saints are with him, and all of the angels are with him. And you see, Satan... And, and because Satan and, and those demons who used to be what? Angels. Okay. They've already been cast out. They're gone. All of a sudden it makes me wonder, is heaven empty? But that's a fascinating question though, isn't it, Doris? Because if all the, if the saints are gone and they're coming to the earth with Jesus for this final battle of Armageddon that is going to take place, and if the angels are with us, and we're with them, and we're all with Jesus. God the Father is still with them. That's where He lives. 
For now. For now. It's an interesting question, though, isn't it? Because what do we have to deal with? Now we have a timing issue, don't we? Because we're going to see next week, we're going to take a look. Not next week, because if you're here, you're going to be the only one here. I won't be here. But we're going to see that there is this period of time that Jesus is going to reign on the earth. With who? With us. And we're going to have a purpose. And there's a plan for us for a thousand years. There will be reigning on the earth. And I don't mean the kind that comes from heaven. I mean reigning as in R E. I am. G. That's the way. That's the one. That's the one. I knew that was the one. And so we're going to reign with Christ. And so there's a thousand year period, and the angels are here, and we're here, and Jesus is here, and heaven is empty. Ooh, that's interesting. Have you thought about that? There will be a new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to take a look at that later, too. But. Well, how could God be down here with all the bad he can't tolerate it? Hmm. So he would still be in heaven. Oh, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but it's worth it. So, Sally, is there still sin on the earth during the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ? Ah. I think he brings heaven with him because he is heaven. Hmm. Heaven is being with him, so there he is. Hmm. That part I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna. Uh, the Bible tells us we are going to look at that during that millennial reign. What what happens? What's what's going on in heaven? What's going on on earth? And why? And for how long? But in the meantime, we have to see that um, that that Jesus comes with a crowd and and uh, and he comes as a warrior. Okay. And why does Jesus come as a warrior to the earth? Well, he when Jesus comes, Revelation nineteen eleven. I like the NIV. Anybody have their NIV? You know, men uh, uh, that 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 uh, put the NIV together. You know, they have little these little subtitles. You know, before certain sections of scripture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and uh, I don't know if you're in NIV, uh, right above uh, Revelation 19, does it say the heavenly... Eyes are on the white horse. Okay, that's what yours says. Anybody else have another title? The heavenly warrior defeats the beast. The heavenly warrior defeats the beast. Okay. Do we need to read any of it then? I mean, if you really wanted the, the Reader's Digest condensed their version of Revelation 19, 11 through 16, the heavenly warrior defeats the beast. So, Steve, Jesus right. comes Mine with the angels. Hallelujah. hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> Mine says it after that. But, but, but that's exactly what he says. He, said, he says that he saw Jesus saw, or excuse me, John saw uh, heaven standing open, and then he and before him was the white horse, uh, whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice he judges and wages war. With justice he judges because God is just and God is true, and he came to wage war and he came to judge. Who's he going to judge? Everybody? All those that follow the Christ. Mm. That's interesting. Because it also says in verse 14, the armies of heaven were following him. 
Who's in the armies of heaven? Did you realize that you are going to be in the military? Again. Murph, again. I don't think you're going to have a fighter jet this time. Okay. Or a helicopter. But we are going to be the armies that are following him, riding on his white horse. And he's coming out of his mouth as a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Jesus is going to come and he is going to defeat the enemy and you are going to be the army and you are going to be just like Israel. You're not going to lift a gun to your shoulder. You're not going to pull a, a sword out of its sheath. You are going to be standing behind the king of kings and you are going to be his army as he defeats the enemy with the words of his mouth. It's interesting to me that God spoke the universe into existence. Read the first part of Genesis. And at the end of this Armageddon period, these battles of Armageddon, Jesus comes during the end and his words defeat the enemy. I don't know how that works. It's hard for me to even picture that. I'm a physical guy. I know guns and knives and swords and fighting. Well, the scripture says mm. with power and great glory. So I get that. That's a lot of power. That's a lot of power. To be able to speak something into existence is beyond my ability to comprehend. I believe it with all my heart, but I can't comprehend it. And when Jesus comes... And the enemy and all this horror that is taking place. And he comes to wage war. Steve, are the Jews going to be happy about this? Mm, yeah. That's huh. what they've always wanted. Since day one. Hmm. <laughs> they're not saved, but there is a remnant. And what they have done is they were scattered because Jerusalem fell, remind you. And so what does, the, what does the scripture say? We looked at this a week before last. It says that there was a remnant of the Jews and they went off to a safe place. They went off to the mountains. We're not told where the mountains are, but we're told that they went to a safe place and God is going to protect them there. Does he protect all of them? No. Not all of them. But he does protect a remnant of the Jews. They are protected. They're not believers. Interesting thought, though, because Jesus comes and all of this horror that is going on, he speaks and the enemy is defeated. What happens to the enemy? Hmm? Yeah. He will rule with an iron scepter. Who will? Jesus. Jesus will rule with an iron scepter. Starting in your outline with the scripture references at Revelation 19, 19 through 21, we see that there are, there are uh, uh, several things that Jesus is going to do when he gets here. First thing he's going to do is what we just talked about, Revelation 19, 19 through 21. He's going to defeat the enemy. He is going to capture the beast and with it the false prophet, according to Revelation 19, 20. And then 
at the end of verse 20, it says the two of them are going to be thrown alive into the lake of burning sulfur. You know, something I find interesting here is in verse 11, it's saying that I saw heaven standing wide open. Mm-hmm. It's like they were looking right into heaven. Interesting. That's an interesting thought because when we study heaven and the heavenlies, we're going to see. Oh, by the way, it, are the heavenlies a physical a physical place? Is there physicality to heaven? Yes. Yeah, no. Hmm. There's physicality to heaven. So we need to understand heaven, don't we? We need to understand that that uh, our, is there more than one heaven? Well, by this, if you can see into heaven, there must be. Yeah, the heavens were open. There's a lot of supernatural things going on here too, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. And John, you know, John was allowed. This is blow your mind. So there's John. He's just a regular dude that Jesus said, "Hey, follow me." And he went, "All right, cool, I'll do that." And and then God uses him in this last letter, this last book of God's word. Um, you know, all this stuff is revealed to, to John. He's sitting there on this island and all this stuff is revealed to him. Mind-boggling stuff. Remember, he's just a dude. That's all he is. And this stuff is revealed to him and God uses him in ways that I, it's hard for me to, 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 to grasp. That John was sitting there and he saw, Steve, that the heavenlies were opened and he saw there. What? He saw all this stuff. So it could be written. For who? says he saw the faithful and true. Yeah, and it's for us. Jesus comes and he defeats the Antichrist and they are thrown the Antichrist and who? The beast and the false prophet are thrown into the abyss. Okay? And then what happens next is when Jesus is here after his second coming, Romans 11, 25 through 26. You don't have to turn there. You can read it before you go to bed tonight if you want. But what happens is he regathers Israel and he restores Israel. Steve, are the Jews happy to see him at this point? Yes. Amen, brother. Because what happens is there is a restoration that takes place. These are God's people. Jesus comes and we see that all Israel will be saved, it says in Romans eleven twenty six. Hmm. That's interesting. All Israel will be saved. The deliverer will come from Zion and he will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. This remnant of Israel, all of it will be saved. Wow, God's people. Mind-boggling. Why is God so patient with those knuckleheads? He actually blinded them so they wouldn't understand it too well. That's right. So that we could be grafted in. Isn't that amazing that we're part of the story? Because we're knuckleheads too. Huh. And God knew that and he wanted to graft us in. And so none of this can take place until the full measure, Scripture says, is grafted in. The full measure. It's just like when God told the 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 the, uh, the martyred saints of the Old Testament, "Chill out. 
I can't avenge your death until the whole is avenged. Many more are being martyred. Okay? I will avenge their deaths too. And then it will be over. He then comes to judge the living. Jesus will judge the living. It's a real interesting study if you, if you have time sometime to study this sheep and goats thing. Okay? Because there are a couple of different, uh, there are a couple of different uh, theological positions that you can take on this. But Jesus comes in Matthew 25, 31 through 46, and all the nations are gathered before him, and he separates the sheep and the goats. And he does that during this period of time. Now, after the, after the thousand years and then Satan gets released, is all the saints going to be gone by that time? You can't ask me that question because that's week oh. after next. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to be here the, the Wednesday after Thanksgiving and then that answer will be revealed. <laughs> the fourth thing that we'll do, and we'll, we'll finish up here quickly, um, he is going to judge Israel. Jesus himself is going to judge Israel. Did you know, Linda, did you know one of your jobs, when you come with Christ, at the second coming, at the end of the tribulation, during Armageddon, do you know what one of your jobs is? No. Judge. Judge? Uh-huh. No. You can't add that to your resume <laughs> yet. You're a saint now, and you are going to be a judge. Hmm. <laughs> the other thing that Jesus is going to do when he gets here is he is going to bind Satan we know that don't we anybody familiar with that Jesus will bind Satan for how long there's our precursor to next time the thousand year reign of Christ the millennial reign of Christ where we will be here and Linda will be a judge after that thousand year after that thousand years where, where Satan is, is bound, uh, remember what happens to him? He is, he is released for a time. He is released for a time. And we will see that, we will see that next, name, next, uh, next time. Y'all come back. And we'll, and we'll, <laughs> we'll end with this. Daniel 2.44 Talking about Jesus being the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. says... In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom, listen, that will never be destroyed. See, this is a positive way to end the night because, you see, this is encouraging. With all the carnage that's taking place and the end of Armageddon and Christ is here and he is judging and he is defeating the enemy. This, the kingdom that is going to be set up will never be destroyed. That peace that was wiped off of the earth during the seven years of the tribulation will come back in such a way that we can't, we can't even imagine it. We can't even imagine reigning with Christ. And yet that will never be warred against. There will ne- that kingdom will never be destroyed. And he will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. That's what Jesus is coming for. He is going to crush all those kingdoms on the earth of the evil one. And sin and evil is what the war is all about. And, and, um, and it will endure, according to uh, Daniel 2.44, forever.
in Matthew 19.28 to close says that Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things. So let's go home thinking about the renewal of all things. And let's go home with a picture in our mind tonight of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who is going to come with us to reign and all things will be made new because this is the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ before Satan's final stand and then it will be over. The final judgment in the final lake of fire for Satan after the thousand year millennial reign. And then the real glory which is the new heaven and the new earth where everything is in glory. Everything will be made as God intended it for eternity, which is a very, very long time. Amen. Amen.